press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, Ooh drama. drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. I'm Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. And Connor, we have something happen over the weekend that is a cultural shift that you and I haven't discussed, but feels relevant because we got back from London and everything's changed. Okay. I'm, I, we, think I, I think I know where you're going with this. You know, we, we have a new, we have a king of England. Oh, wait, I thought you, wait, for some reason, I thought you were going with Taylor Swift is dating Matt Healy of the 1975, <laughs> and she's no longer with her London boy, and we haven't discussed it on the pod. Um, I don't want to discuss that, because I don't know if it's true, and I, you know, I don't know. Jack Antonoff confirmed via Entertainment Tonight just today. Oh, wow. That okay. they're getting to know each other. They're having fun. I love, you know what, I love that Taylor's back in her dating era. You know, it's always very fun. She loves British boys. Is Matt, yeah, Matt Healy's British? Yeah. That's why he kind of sings like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He says yes. record instead of record. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But okay. Yeah. There's a king now. Yes. And I have to say, I laughed my ass off at all of the memes of King Charles the Third's fingers. They're so bloated and weird. Something's wrong. <laughs> Something's wrong. They didn't cover that in Diana the Musical on Broadway. No, they didn't. And and as I did read. Spare by Harry, cover to cover. He didn't cover that either. But, you know, it is, uh, he can't, he did say some salacious things about his father, but nothing like that. It's crazy. Imagine if Diana was like on Broadway this summer with like Camilla as now the queen and she played a pivotal role, obviously, in that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, her heart tramp was. Was Charles. Huh. Yeah. Awesome. You know, it'll be interesting to see how things change because, like, even when we saw that panto in London, Camilla was poised as like this evil villain. Oh, that's I wonder right. how that'll go in the future now that she's the queen consort. I, I, did they, is she still a consort or is she just literally the queen? On the official website, she's called the queen, but I guess formally she's the queen consort. So. Oh, wag. Yeah. Anyone who actually cares about that kind of stuff. Well, they're like renaming <laughs> like her majesty's theater to like his majesty's over there right. too. Right, 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 it's right, wild right. that they, they haven't had to do that in so long. Everything's changed. It'll stay this way for a while because then obviously William will be will be king next. But oh listen, wow, listen, listen. wait—is that how it goes in the thing mm-hmm. in the Succession? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so it'll be William next. Wow. Meanwhile, on Succession on HBO, it's t- incredible television and some of the best TV I've seen in years. And our guest was actually on an episode of Succession. Whoa! <laughs> Which I know you didn't plan that transition, but that's oh. that's where we're gonna go from here. I didn't, but last I'm still reeling in last night's incredible episode. It was just beyond. It was it's so good. Wait, I did not remember <laughs> that our guest was on Succession. So that's gonna... a couple years, early, early seasons. I want to say maybe even the first season, but. Yeah, it was the first season. We're so getting, he was, we're he getting was on, the producers are piping in and they've let me know that it is the first season. Wow. He was on the ground floor and also played a pivotal role in The Good Fight season two, which was the best season of The Good Fight. Also, really kicking off my favorite sort of fever dream storyline that Diane went on during that six season show. I think it was six seasons, right? Five or six seasons. But he yeah. really gave her that microdosing habit. I need to know everything about Baranski. I need to know everything about Succession. I need to know everything about Borellis. So Dylan, please do wow, us wow, the wow, honor. Wow. Of... You've already started. You've already started giving the bio, but I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> All right, that was my version of the bio. I know our guest today is a true leading man of Broadway, perhaps best known for his heartwarming and humorous take as Doctor Pomader in Waitress's original Broadway cast. He played the good doctor on and off throughout the show's incredible run. He currently stars now as another doc, this time as the sadistic Oren Scrivello in Little Shop of Horrors off-Broadway, as well as some other roles. Earlier this year, our guest starred alongside our pal Casey Likes in Almost Famous on Broadway, where he originated the role of Jeff Beebe. He made his Broadway debut as Bob Gaudio in Jersey Boys, also playing the role in Chicago, Las Vegas, and San Francisco, having then gone on to play Warren Smith in the Broadway revival of On a Clear Day You Can See Forever. 
Other stage appearances have been leading the new musical Dave at Arena Stage, Roman Holiday, the Scarlet Pimpernel in concert, Billy and Ray, A Minister's Wife, Anne of Green Gables, and more. His many television and film appearances include Succession, The Blacklist, Chicago PD, Blue Bloods, Instinct, The Code, Dietland, The Good Fight, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Elementary 30 Rock Smash, Muhammad Ali's Greatest Fight, Indoor Boys, and... Yes, more. The doctor is in the house, y'all. Please welcome to drama, Drew, Drew Gilling. Wow, wow. I, I, did, I had no idea. This makes me sound so accomplished. I have such imposter syndrome. I think, and then you end up on <laughs> drama. I, I, you know, that's where you're. Where? What is my life? I know. I, I just like I hear all this things. Look, and I'm like, oh my god. I, wow. What? I, that was a good god. That's how you were paying the Busy. bills. It, it makes me sound so busy. So, so busy. You were talking about success. We can't talk about the succession episode, guys, because I have not watched it. Last, like, I did not watch last okay, night's that's episode. Fair. Wait, so depending on when this airs, mm-hmm. it'll like the entire season will probably be wrapped and, and, and this will be a movie. That is it'll possible. Be the week of, it'll probably be the week <laughs> of the finale. But listen, you were on the first season of succession. I was. Guys, I was not only on the first season. I was on the first episode. The first day of shooting, we did the table read for the pilot the day Donald Trump got elected. No. (gasps) Yeah, get this. So it was like everybody. I mean, it was everybody. It was the first time anybody had met. It was only the pilot. They didn't know if the show was even going to get picked up. And I only remember this because Julia Murney was also at the table read. Mm -hmm. And she lives like right around the corner from me. And we talk about this all the time. Where, um, you know, cause don't we all just kind of talk about the one day we did together on a show like mm, six years ago? <laughs> and, um, we're sitting around and it was that thing where everyone was so excited because we had all just gone and voted and we were thinking like, this is going to be great. What a great day this is going to be. And then we're, you know, all sitting around Silver Cup Studios and I'm looking around the room going like, these people are amazing. This show is going to be really good. Really good. And Alan Ruck, little known fact, Alan Ruck, who plays Connor. Yeah was not available that day so yours truly read the role of connor at the first table read of the pilot episode of succession unbelievable wow 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 that's a hot take no i don't think anybody knows that that wasn't there that day i wonder okay. i wonder what connor was doing in in the pilot i forget he's bringing like the starter sourdough loaf because okay. it's the it's the birthday and he's bringing him this loaf and he's mm-hmm. like it's it's a it's a sourdough star. <laughs> yes that is wow. so I'm, cool. I'm surprised you didn't blow them away and they just decided to cast you ultimately although you're not old enough to play that yeah role, true but... oh god no yeah i was i was <laughs> they should have like known for my amazing table reading skills that i was ready now was jeremy strong already yeah, was, was he already like method acting fully in character even though it was just the pilot sort of table read was he in it well at the table read it was a completely different kind of situation we were all just kind of buried in the page at that point because you know the changes were kind of so constant but by the time the scene that we shot where i play i'm saging the room it was me jeremy and kieran culkin and peter friedman and um rob yang who was uh there as well it was crazy being there on the first day because you know nobody knew anybody's name yet it was still like, <laughs> hi, I'm, you know, I'm going to be your dresser for the season. And Adam, mm-hmm. Adam McKay, uh, it was directing that episode and he okay. was in his chair. He always brings like a big kind of comfy chair to set. And it was like in the other room. <laughs> so you would like hear him laughing in, in video village, like as stuff was like getting filmed. But already right away, Jeremy was like already taken it apart and really, really like with like a razor's edge kind of figuring out exactly who the character was. It was really cool and interesting to watch. And it was like, you got a sense even before a show was even picked up that you're like, wow, I'm like, I'm punching way above my weight here. These guys are really good. And they're like ready to go, which is exciting. Oh my god! Thank you for that tidbit. That feels so topical. Yeah, that is, that. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like what it was like to work on. Honestly, it's like one of the. It's so fucking rare that like shows are that good for that long and sustain that level of excellence. So it's neat to when you get to be a part of it, even for like a few days. Oh, absolutely. For sure. We talked about Baranski on The Good Fight, too. We have a lot to discuss, Drew. We do. Guys, are you ready for a Good Fight story? I've got a, a pretty decent Good Fight story. Because it actually I'm overlaps. Ready. It overlaps with Waitress in a weird, weird way. So the day that we shot that scene of, like, where I'm giving, I'm, I'm, passing, the, I'm passing the sweet, sweet shrooms to, to Baranski, <laughs> who was lovely, by the way. <laughs> lovely. 
but it was a needed to hear that. It was, it was one of those part. It was one of those, like, I think it might've been a funeral or, or something. I remember everybody being dressed in black, but we were all out at some house in like East egg or West egg on long Island. You know what I mean? A little Gatsby reference. Um, and, yeah, and I got uh, you. <laughs> but everybody was there. So it was one of those days. Everybody had to be there. Cause she's just kind of bopping around the party, like running into somebody, speaking to somebody, speaking to somebody. And so I'm upstairs you're shooting in someone's house. So I'm sitting in like some kid's bedroom and it's like me and Jane Howdy shell and Christine Baranski and Audra. And I look over at, and I'm like on the phone desperately because um, when you do a Broadway show, I was doing waitress at night. And uh, when you do a Broadway show, they do this thing called birthday club where (laughs) as if this is exclusive to Broadway. Oh, oh, (laughs) nowhere else. Does anybody do birthday club? Oh, for Christ's sake. Um, Where, you know, if it's your birthday, you know, the person who had the birthday before you buys the cake. So right after me is Will Swenson, who's Audra's husband. And I've realized mm-hmm. in the moment as I'm like talking, I like am meeting Audra and I'm going like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. It's Will's birthday today. Oh, my God. I'm here. I'm on Long Island. The show starts at seven. If I don't, what does Will want? And so I'm suddenly I'm like desperately calling Magnolia Bakery to get the banana pudding. And oh, the best. I looked across at Audra and I was like, Audra, we have one more page left to shoot. It's two o'clock. Do you think if I put this order in that we'll wrap in time for me to make it back to Manhattan, swing by Magnolia, pick up the, like the pudding, make it all the way to the Brooks in time for your husband's birthday. And she was like, I got you. And we wrapped in time because oh, she was amazing. like i think you got it and they were like great good i guess we're good <laughs> and she was new to the show that she, season too yeah but she's audra she's audra she's good i forgot that, that will did so waitress fun. he did yeah yeah yeah. every like the waitress has been like this weird kind of uh totem for so many of us like we've all kind of dropped come in and come out and and uh mm-hmm. people would kind of not revolving doors so much but like it was kind of like a notch that people could put on their belt because it was really fun and it was a great environment everybody got along and it was just like sarah and jesse mueller from the very beginning kind of set up a situation of like this is going to be cool this is going to be a good place to work everybody's going to like get along there's no room for any like drama or anything like that we're just going to you know we're in a really joyful show so let's have a joyful time oh i i love to hear that i mean it's no secret to drama listeners that connor and i were huge waitress fans i always say that what we should have had a punch card that uh you, every time you went, you could get like a free visit or a free pie at least. Wait, go, how, you know? how many times did you see it? Do you know? Like, well, that's <laughs> a good question because maybe like six or seven. I don't know that's if it was that like, many. No, it's not, that many. It's not as many as like the, the stands were. You know, we were on a budget. I was working at 54 below. That's I mean, true. I can hardly afford, you know. But um, we did the rush. We would do the rush tickets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Saw Betsy and uh, Nicolette. Yes. And um, McFay. McVeigh Foster. McVeigh Foster. Yeah. McVeigh Foster. Yeah. Shoshana. Yeah. Shoshana's like an Allie Luff were the only two that I didn't get to do the show with, I think. Okay. Oh, okay. Did, did you come back with it with when it when, when it came back? Yeah, I did. And I'm in the movie that they're releasing at Tribeca. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Isn't that, that's with Sarah, right? Yeah. With, with Sarah, it's okay. Sarah, Joe Tippett, the fabulous Joe Tippett, myself, oh, yeah. uh, Charity Angel Dawson, Caitlin uh, Houlihan, Dakin Matthews, oh. Eric Anderson. Legend. I mean, it's like we, we really kind of oh, were wow. able to. Is, uh, Chris Fitzgerald in there as, uh, Fitz, Fitzy's in it. Fitzy's in it. He was like it. the stalwart. I could always count on you or him being in the show yeah. when I'd come back but, and be in good hands. People don't give Chris, well, no, people give Chris tons of credit. I mean, he's a multi-Tony nominee. Let's, let's be fair. But like the guy just was able to spin gold in that show. Mm-hmm. He just kind of created a track that was airtight, man. Anytime he was on stage, the audience, he just, the, he had them. He had oh, yeah. them. And it was like, it's cool. It was the only character that you actually knew exactly what they want and that he was going to do anything it took to get it. It's, it was so refreshing from the rest of us. We were just like, I don't really know what I want. So I'm just going to like burn the place down in the meantime. And while I'm figuring that out and that one character is just like, I want her and I'm going to do whatever it takes. I can only imagine what it was like seeing all the different actors come in and out and give their little spin on the role and whatnot. So I'm not going to ask you who your favorites to work with were. 
But I am curious, when you look back on that experience, what is like a highlight from being a part of Waitress? Honestly, it was that it became second family. You know what I mean? Mm. Shows always do that. You know how it's like, that. that's one thing that's really cool about our job is that uh, anytime you start, even if it's a total bomb, you know what I mean? You still form a bond with those people that lives on for a really long time because, you know, you kind of went through hell together to get to get there. Like uh, Fitz and I, I talk a lot about the fact that like any new show like takes five years off your life because you just. Wow. Well, just because, you know, you're, you're away from your family, your home family for so long, like you're rehearsing, 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 and then you're teching, which just means you live at that place. And then you're in previews. So you're rehearsing it all day. You're doing it every night. And then you're kind of, it's hard to put it to bed. You can't like leave it at work. And then if you're lucky after that, you just kind of end up in the trenches on this thing, kind of just going through the slog of every holidays, birthdays, any kind of thing you're together. And, you know, it forms a a bond that's like kind of hard to describe. And I, that's was the biggest takeaway on that show is that I still keep in touch with like all those people. We see each other a lot, you know, Eric Anderson's daughter and my daughter are like best friends. That's not (laughs) it. She was over here yesterday. I like made them dinner between shows, you know, and then they played on, with a hose on the on the patio until the neighbors yelled <laughs> at him. <laughs> Not the pesky neighbors. Oh, the neighbors. They might be listening. Um, I don't wanna name names. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. <laughs> I loved you and Waitress so much. You were so silly, but filled with such heart, Drew. Oh, Do man. you feel like your performance changed a lot throughout the course of the run? Or do you feel like... Like when a Jenna came in, your pometer was a little more dark or edgy. Yeah, you know what? It it always kind of had to serve. The purpose of the role is always to kind of point Jenna in the right direction. You know, you that's that's the entire purpose. So every different Jenna was kind of on a slightly different trajectory, and it's was always our job to calibrate what we were doing to make their journey make sense. So in that way, it's like, it's not a thankless role because that's, that's not, that's not the right thing to say, but it is, it's, you know how there are certain roles that are built to be like, it's me. I have a great star mm. entrance. I have this huge star turn in the set, in the second act, it, you know, and people walk away from this thing and they go, Oh, wow, that, that part was so freaking incredible. You know, this, this is much more of like a, you are in total service to the story and that character. So yeah, it kind of, it would change depending on who was on and it, cause it had to, you know, you can't just go on and do the same, exactly the same thing and expect the, you know, the same result with, uh, with different people. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Did you kind of always expect Sarah would end up going in to play Jenna? It was definitely something I always kind of hoped for. Like, you know, when, yeah. you, first, when you first get that job and you're listening to all these, I'm, I was listening to all the, like, the demos that she sent us when we were learning the songs and shit. And you, of course, you're thinking like, oh my God, what if? Scenario A, we're out of town. Jesse breaks both legs on a bike going from company housing to the theater. What do we do? Do we cancel the show? No. Sarah steps in and, mm-hmm. and it's a triumph and such and such and such. Yeah. At, and <laughs> at, but at the time it was so odd because we, we spent a full month just building a thing. And I had, you know, only ever known Sarah. And I imagine everybody that worked on the notebook probably had a really similar experience with Ingrid. Cause it's like, you know, that person as a performer, as a, as a songwriter and as a, as a vocalist at that point, she'd never really acted in anything professionally. So mm-hmm. I only knew her at that point in the context of like, I've listened to your voice. I've seen you in concert numerous times. And I, now I know you as a collaborator, as the writer, like you're coming up to me saying, Hey, can you phrase this a little bit differently? It's sounding funky to me. Or can you do this? I love that. I want you to, to, and so you're working like a collaborator. And so I completely forgot until right after we were in Boston and came in, there was that big concert that we did at um at City Center where she performed all the music and like they live streamed it. It was the first time anybody had oh, heard. Yeah. It was like the big record release. And I she, remember this. Yeah. And she asked me to come do it. No, drama. Are you ready? Drama. Originally, it was supposed to be Gavin that was going to sing <gasps> at that concert with her. Gavin gets deathly ill that day and she called me 
at home that day and was like, hey, Drew, can you come? Would you be willing to come and sing Bad Idea and You Matter to Me with me tonight at this thing? And I was like, I'm going to have to call you back. <laughs> and she was like, well, I was kind of thinking you'd either say yes or no. And I was like, no, 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 it's a yes. I just have to see if I can get a sitter. And she was like, <laughs> oh, oh, my God, yes, totally, totally. And I was like, oh, you you got you a little vulnerable there about it? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, because it was scary. You know, you're putting something out there that, in her case, that was like a total departure for her. But oh, it was yeah. wild because in that moment, I remembered and I got to see again, oh, yeah, you are Sarah Bareilles, the fucking rock star pop star mm. that like you're on stage and that persona that you emit and is so down to earth and open but funny and really quick and then has this voice from god that just like sounds incredible it just is it it was wild like that's a ride that i could talk about for fucking hours so be careful yeah. of the questions <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's really cool that you're able to look back like that. And also, I mean, the show, despite being in the same season of Hamilton, oh really yeah, carved you know, its own way. That was the that coolest was tough. thing. It was tough, wasn't it? Because, but it, it, I don't know. The Tonys are funky, right? Like, because everybody, our industry is like ninety nine point nine percent of the time, we are all the best of friends, and I will rejoice <laughs> in your successes, and I will curse your detractors, like. And I will give dirty looks to critics in the street on your behalf. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, like, award season rolls around and we take an industry that is entirely supportive of each other. And then it suddenly has this weird tendency to eat itself. It's so odd because it only lasts for like a few weeks. And then all the people that kind of perpetuate that leave and go on vacation. And the rest of us <laughs> that are in the shows have to just keep going to work and, and, and yeah. do the musical every night. It just, I don't know. It's a make, I love our community so much. That's why it's like wild to go and see a show like Chucked, which I just love. And, and like some like it hot and Kimberly Akimbo and, and, and New York, New York and, and Julia, like these, these nominated shows. Did I miss one? Did I miss one? I was, I, like, no, I, was I was literally in my head being like, is he going to mention every best musical? Oh my God. <laughs> well, he did it. I don't want to give any oxygen to people that are like Broadway's dying. Because like, uh -huh. look, look at that season. And I was, I mean, I was in one. Yes. That, that, one that we had high hopes for. We had a higher hopes yeah, for Yeah, You know, you always, you always do, but like, you know, sometimes the time's not right. And sometimes the show just isn't, can't do what it wanted to do. And you know, that that's the world we live in. But I guess it's like, I can still celebrate my buddies just killing it. And doing what they were born to do, like in a season, like three years after we were in a massive pandemic that shut everything down. I just, it's great. 100%. Yes. You know what? Speaking of shocked, I could see you in the John Bellman role. Johnny B. I, I love that guy so freaking much. He's so good at it. Yeah. But like I, I saw the invited dress and I just like, okay, me too. I was angry. I was like angry at the show because I was like, how dare you? Like bury the lead so hard and be this funny and like just kind of, you know, leave it out yeah. there for everybody. Like just gray slaying me. Oh like, my God. And not oh, even gosh. trying, like not even trying, just being like, oh, I'm just going to just drop these bombs. The amount of skill it takes to deftly handle Robert Horn's just awesome book. No notes. No notes. <laughs> Drew, we dove right into the convo, but we, we do usually kick it off by asking how our lovely guests are doing in the form of, are you well? I am well. Thank you so much for asking. It's like something weird about, uh, so you, I, I, you know what I get, I feel like I guess I should talk about this. Like you do a show on Broadway or anywhere for that matter. And it, and it's not met with success, whether that be critical or financial or whatever. It can take a toll on like your mojo without, for lack of a better term. You know what I mean? And yeah. so the coolest thing that has happened to me in the past like two months is that I've gotten a, the immense pleasure of stepping into Little Shop of Horrors right now, which Full disclosure, I had never seen, I had never read, I had not even seen the film. Totally. And it was like the opportunity popped up and I kind of bristled at it a little bit because I was like, I, I don't want to like 
jump into something and, and, and like, uh, replace in something that I'm, that I, I just kind of was feeling a little like, I want to just like crawl into my, my hole and hide under this blanket, you know, like you feel mm-hmm. when you, when you've been like kind of kicked in the teeth. And, mm-hmm. um, it was honestly my fiance, Julia, the lovely Julia Madison. One of the writers of the upcoming Death Becomes Her. Death Becomes Her and uh, half of the Advent calendar for yes. the, for you uh, holiday fans out there. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, she was like, no, 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 you have to do it. You have to do this. And I was like, okay, all right. And so I listened to it and I like read the script and I was like, oh yeah, I, I have to do this. So I honestly, there's something about, I call it doing like, the high school play for Broadway people. <laughs> it's like the high school play, but with Broadway people in it. It is such a love fest for the theater as a whole because, you know, Michael Mayer, who directed this production, just is, I've never worked with somebody, I've worked with him a couple of times that that loves musicals more. I mean, the man loves musicals mm-hmm. and I love him and I do, I love musicals too. It's like why we all are here, you know? And there's something so pure about the show. It just works. It's like two hours. It, it like not a moment is wasted. Not a character is wasted. Not a line is wasted. The songs are all bangers. Oh yeah. Like it, it was such a weird thing to kind of just sit down and, and experience the show and go, Oh, this thing is, this thing is perfect. This is airtight. And so it has been an utter joy to go to work every day. And like, that's not always the case when you're like in the trenches on a new show. So I, I'm really counting my blessings and considering myself so lucky that I, you know, have the privilege of being a part of this like family for a little while, even if it's only just for a few months. Ah, I'm so happy for you. Thanks. I'm glad Julia encouraged you to do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about it. You're not known to replace. You know, you've created, you've originated so many roles. Yeah, because I'm six and a half feet tall. I can't hide in an ensemble. Like you can't. I'm a tree. You know, so it's like if you're if you're gonna put a tree in there, it's like you're you're saying something. Mm-hmm. So you and the tall man from Hades Town. You're both like, oh my god. You yes, stick we know. We we always like nod at each other whenever we see each other, like walking down Ninth Avenue. I'll be like, oh hello. It's like oh hello. You know, it's like we're in the club, <laughs> the big and tall club. So were you with Maud Apatow for a little while? I was with Maud. She's become this oh, theater Maud darling now. Great. And is just so game. That girl is just game for whatever was happening in that show. She was just, was so kind of confident and, and sure in her portrayal of like her version of Audrey that like it allowed all of us to just kind of recalibrate and figure out like how we all fit into that world. And I, I think she's just wonderful. She left us last weekend and the incomparable joy woods just started like it's a whole other podcast i yeah. can talk about I'm her for, excited for about hours that. everyone's obsessed she's with wonderful. her she's so popular she's online great. too every clip of her gets like thousands and thousands of likes and views and that's good well i mean that you can't you can't lie with that voice man she's just so freaking good uh, but uh, Ma- so Maud left us last week and she just immediately went uh overseas to do cabaret on the west right. end so yeah you're like just all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, you're going to do musicals yeah. now? Okay. All <laughs> right. Speaking of Cabaret, you could be the MC. I could be the MC. Listeners, you heard it here. <laughs> Cast Drew is the MC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drew, so do you feel like your mojo is back a little bit after yeah. joining the show? And Yeah, and, and, and ne- never to say that, oh, you know, it, it's about me, 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 me. Because, like, I, we, we are in such a – you have to kind of be – I, I think you really have to kind of, I don't know if it's subvert or subject or, or, uh, sub something, sub something. <laughs> That's the title of this podcast. Okay. We're going to go with that. Thank you sub for some, that. Sub something. You have to kind of, um, put yourself at the hands of the material and, and do what you, as an actor, especially, you know, I am the, the device that is being used by this playwright to tell this story. Sometimes that can really wear on you because Sometimes you're not playing someone that you personally really like, you know? And so this, so then the task becomes to find what it is about that person and that character that is relatable and playable and I, you know, identifiable to members of the audience that will, even if they don't like you, they, they understand why you're doing what you're doing. That takes its toll when you have to do it every single day, you know, mm-hmm. when you're doubling down on something that's painful or hard or um, uncomfortable. You have to learn to find that comfort in discomfort. And that can take time. 
And luckily, we now are really getting wise to the fact that we have like intimacy directors that are a part of these processes that like mm-hmm. help you find that comfort in discomfort, right? As opposed to, you know, trying to erase it or, or just make nothing uncomfortable, you know, because yeah. you need that, you need that discomfort. That's why that's a play, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that's why we're watching something. We have to go watch something uncomfortable happen so we can deal with it in real life. Yeah. I'd imagine it was tough to find the core of Jeff in Almost Famous. I mean, he his ego is a little... Uh... Not as hard as you might think. You know, <laughs> you just, you, you just, you, you go right to the core of like, okay, so uh, this guy's thinking, what's in it Always. for me? Always. Right? Always. So w- what's in it for me? And then, you know, if you're, you know, you just kind of have to try to avoid doing that at, as a person at the same mm-hmm. time and going like, wait, wait, am I, am I trying to influence this moment as the character or as the actor playing the character? Mm. You know what I mean? Ew. And that's, and the line gets a little bit wacky. What was that experience like creating that role? Cause I mean, obviously an iconic movie. Yeah. Totally. But then again, you've been in a lot of iconic movie adaptations. I but. only <laughs> do movies guys. It, it turns out I only do movies. Like let's, let's, let's go through it. Uh, waitress movie, Roman holiday movie, Dave movie, almost famous movie. Now wh- wh- yeah, I got to figure out what I'm little doing. Shop? Little shop movie. You guys, what's next? Drama listeners, write in. I know. Yeah, tell us what you write want in. to see. What movie adaptation you want to see? Put it. Put it in the. Take put it in next. the comments, and I'll uh, see if I can secure the rights. You know what I mean? Right. That's the. Uh, I'll, I'll be. I'll be trolling it. No, that that show yeah. was wild to develop. We. Uh, it was such a cool process because it was the slowest fast track show that I've ever uh, heard of. Because like we we did our first reading of it, or that I was a part of, and like. Fall of 2018, summer, fall 2019, we went out of town to San Diego and then it was like, all right, great. We're coming in next year. We're re- we're like, we're going to do some tweaking. We're going to come in next year. Then pandemic happens, obviously. And then we're doing readings and then we're kind of doing a little lab and workshop. And then we kind of come in the following year. So we didn't start till 2022. So a thing that was kind of would have been start to finish over and done with by 2021 ended up not really kind of starting until a year later than that. So it was like, it was pretty wild because we had Cameron Crowe, the incomparable freaking Cameron Crowe in the room that was like absolutely game and totally willing to, to reexamine scenes and stuff from the film and be able to, you know, kind of recalibrate the way in which we were going to tell the story for the stage as opposed to the film. And, you know, it's such an iconic movie. Like, insert Mm -hmm. your favorite movie here and then like your if it's your favorite thing as a movie that's that becomes difficult to do on stage you know what i mean Mm -hmm. because who's it for is it for like the super fans of the movie because they're gonna like i'd be really reticent to go and see my favorite movie on stage which is white christmas by the way (laughs) honestly love that movie like it's it's tough to see it on stage because you're like well it's already a perfect film right yeah so like i gotta see a completely different take on it and like you know very few adaptations for the stage are able to really do that like once did that really well right yeah mm-hmm. oh that's you're looking at my poster oh right your now. poster look at that <laughs> i think Listeners. i think legally blonde did it really well too legally blonde did do it really well the nell benjamin uh larry o'keefe like dream team and you worked with them on yeah. dave right i did dave is yeah. dave was is a great piece and so timely and that was like one of those moments of like walking down the aisle on opening night not realizing but my dad told me later he was like yeah you were doing this part of the show where you're walking down the aisle and this like guy in a suit was like right next to you out of nowhere and i was like oh my god i didn't even know and he was like yeah it's because you were right next to rbg like ruth bader ginsburg was sitting right there on the aisle because we were in dc and so it was like this political darling of a show (laughs) And I didn't even, no, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. She did love theater. She did. You were she dropped was a subscriber. in. Yeah, exactly. She was no, a subscriber to really, stage. Yeah, she loved it. So that makes, that leads me to believe she saw Dear Evan Hansen out of town at one point. I bet she did. I yeah, bet she did. Next to normal and. Did RBG like Dave? RBG loved Dave. Everyone loved Dave. Dave was like one of those shows that like, like a perfect in, in it's like content in it's time. I don't know. It's like, it's kind of blurry because it was a, several years ago, 18, 19, it was like yeah. five years ago. But it's one of those things that uh, Tom wrote like an Aaron Copeland inspired score because it was like, cool. it's, I mean, it's so hard now like to think about patriotism as something that hasn't been co-opted by the far right 
right. without getting like wildly political. It's like now when you see someone with like an American flag in their yard, you're like, ah, I don't know. I know. Isn't that crazy? And I that's know. such a I shame, that man, way. because mm-hmm. it's supposed, it's like, that's supposed to represent all of us. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's tough when you, when you're like, oh man, what a, no, nah. that's tough. So like a political show that is about politics, like becomes really tough unless it's something like POTUS, which like I, POTUS, yeah fucking loved um, hey, i was thinking yeah. about loved. I, just, I heard that's that uh joan jett song i hate myself for loving you i heard it yeah. last night at a drag show and i was thinking did like, you do the poses you just immediately started the poses. <laughs> yeah, yeah the different poses. <laughs> i was remembering the poses and rachel dratch and just like i saw rachel dratch do a speech at the new york theater workshop gala a few nights ago and it fucking killed she <laughs> she is so funny I yeah, and I, I, obviously this is like this is not this is not a this is a drugaling hot take. Rachel Dratch, <laughs> funny. Who who knew? But like my god, so brave of you to say. <laughs> I know. <laughs> really breaking boundaries here. She is it, just like slayed me, and she was like giving a speech, you know, about a, a like an administrator at the at the workshop, and it just was ki- killing. She's uh, I, I love her. Connor used to work at New York Theater Workshop. I, I wonder which which administrator was that. Believe it or not, I was an intern. Ooh, but, wait, you know. come on, that's that's the theater mm-hmm. company that gave us rent. They gave us rent. It is, and, and at the and time, was. Hades Town was playing that summer. Oh, the Hades, and it was Hades, and you know, I was there. I was there. Yeah, it was something. Do you think Dave will live on in some way, somewhere, somehow? Yeah, I do believe so. Uh, Dave is um, currently like. It, it's one of those things that Tom Kitt has like really doubled down on is like trying to uh, continue to develop and Nell and Larry as well, or, you know, always in like trying to work on it. And I have also run into Mark Kaufman from Warner brothers, like six times in the last three weeks, which is hilarious. Cause we didn't see each other for years. And then I just suddenly would be like, Oh, Hey Mark. Like, Oh, hi Mark. Sorry. <laughs> Something cosmic <laughs> maybe going on there. I don't know. Yeah, I know. So, I, so anyway, um, so I don't know. Your mouth to God's ears. That's one of those things where you have to, as an actor, I feel like I, unless I'm one of the projects that like I'm producing and or, or writing, then it's one of those things that you kind of have to go. All right, I am a part of this process to a certain extent, but getting it from A to B becomes like something that you can't be as proactive about, especially because as an actor, you aren't necessarily a producer of that project. You know what I mean? Sure. Unless you are, like in a lot of cases, like uh, a lot of actors I know will kind of spearhead a project and say, hey, I really want to make this happen. I'm bringing this director on board. I'm bring-. And then you're kind of driving the, the train or the ship or, I don't know, pick your metaphor. The plane. The plane. <gasps> uh, the plane. Uh, there you go. You're a pilot now. I am a pilot. I was talking to Dylan right before uh, you joined us and I was running a little bit late for the podcast today. Not punctual, Drew Galing. Not and you punctual. texted me and I didn't respond. Yeah, he didn't, you know, and that's okay because I was late. Like uh, I wouldn't have responded to me either. <laughs> For example, like, you know, last night I was a half an hour late to half hour call. I, th- someone reported me to the union. I should get my card. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I w- and, and get this. I was just sitting at home. I was just sitting at home going like, ah, oh, man, may- I was making freaking chicken nuggets for Elliot Anderson and uh, Annie Galing <laughs> and the babysitter was supposed to come back at like, I was like, oh, I'll just come back at seven, you know, I'll be fine. Not realizing like, and at seven o'clock she walks up and I was like, all right, I'm just going to head into half hour is at seven o'clock. And I'm like calling the stage manager going like, I, I cannot believe that this happened. And they just like laugh in my face. Just sort of like you idiot. Just get here whenever it's fine. We won't hold the shit. You're fine. <laughs> so dumb. Are you in the opening number? I haven't seen this production yet. Okay. Yeah. We're all in the opening number. It's everybody is in everything. Like we can't start the show until I am in a wig and beard and mustache and dirt on my face. Like that's, it's hard. <laughs> Uh, hot, hot you've mess. been in the industry long enough. People but, know they can rely on you. You know. Yeah, it, listener, you can't see it, but I'm uh, I'm I'm putting out a cigarette mm-hmm. machine <laughs> right now. That's 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 a sign of age and and veteran yeah. status, I guess. But you're a pilot now. How much do you want to say about? This? I am. Like, oh my god, how much do you want to know? <laughs> you know how uh, like we, when you have the kind of job where it's like when you have the kind of job like we have where it's like um what do you, you know you do the scene, sing the song. That was good. That was fine. That was your eighth best version of singing mm-hmm. that song. You know what I mean? Like these kinds of like metrics don't really matter. They're entirely subjective. So 
or objective or oh god my vocabulary i'm i swear i'm an intelligent person and i, I love it you're like but, guess you keep uh, guessing like three versions of whatever word you're going for it's so endearing <laughs> i love it I, I, yeah but that makes sense that, that sounds like me this is the most on brand i think i've ever been uh talking to anybody about anything but the great thing about flying is that there's a right way and a wrong way to do things and i i, it, I like it because it exercises like a completely different side of my brain and it's so rare like a lot of people you know are do a lot of woodworking or take on some other hobby like painting or um, so, something that is, you know, skills that are quantifiable. And it's like, you put in this certain amount of time, you're going to get out this certain kind of result. And I had wanted to be a pilot since I was five years old. And during the pandemic, I was shooting a TV show. I was on the blacklist for that entire season where they were like, you know, this is pre-vaccine and we were all just like, you know, deep in our, in our COVID holes and just kind of just staying away from people as much as possible. And for my birthday that year, which is in October, Julia, my fiance, Julia Madison of, uh, um, just insert the thing from before. And, um, she got me a, uh, uh, a flying lesson and was like, you know, just go. I know you've always wanted to do it. So you're going tomorrow morning. And I was like, I kind of dragged my feet about it. And I was like, I don't know. So I go, I drove all the way out to Long Island and I went up in a Cessna 172 with my instructor, Sam Bennett, who now works for the airlines. But at the time he was 20 years old. Oh, wow. He was like, yeah. And younger than me. <laughs> Not much. Much, much, much. And, um, he, takes me up we and i landed the plane and immediately i was like oh my god how much is this going to cost how long is it going to take what what is it going to take i'm I, I love it i love everything about it it's like you can feel like you're in charge of something and in control of something for like a a set period of time and there's no better way to see new york city than by flying up and down the hudson river lower than the freedom tower i mean uh, you can't no one else gets that only, only Sully. But that, only, uh, well, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to be that low. No, not that low. <laughs> but my God, yeah, I've loved it. And I've been really lucky. I've been able to take a lot of my um, co-stars like flying with me. And uh, who, who you know, have you and, taken and, flying? I think the, the listeners would love to know who's been. Gerard Canonico has been in my plane. Joe Tippett has been in my plane. Several casting directors have been in my plane. Um, <laughs> my my lovely mom and my dad, my daughter who has her own little headset, my fiance. Oh, um, like, yeah, a, half the cast of Almost Famous. Like Did Casey likes take flight with you. Casey likes never was able to do it. I love that boy, and I never wanted to bother him on a day off because he needed his rest. The kid was working so hard on that show mm-hmm. and about to yeah. do it again. My God, I I, I'm, I'm so a happy little for him. nervous about little planes. I have to be honest. No, no, no. You're not the only one. I've, I've had. There, I, I, there's two different kinds of people. One kind of person will say. Absolutely, I'm going flying with you, and then postpone it <laughs> again and again and again and again and again. And then the other is like, I don't know, and and will just like never, and I will say absolutely not right away. Which is like my buddy Jared Spector was like, no, absolutely not, no, I won't, I won't do it. You're you're, you're insane. Our next podcast will be us up in the air, and you're flying the plane, and we'll record from however high up we go. Yeah, we'll call it pilot season. Oh. No, there's an yeah. idea oh. for a podcast. Bam. Yeah. yeah. I, I take people up in a plane <laughs> and like just ask them really hard hitting questions while we're doing maneuvers and stuff. So they're like <laughs> totally under right. duress. Yeah. So you can, you, you're fully licensed now. I am. I'm fully licensed. I, I can fly a, a small single engine aircraft that lands on land. Congratulations. That is incredible. Thank you. I feel like a lot of people have that dream that they want, you know, from the, when they were a kid or just in general. And then yeah. they don't ever go for it. A lot, uh, yeah, that's true for a lot of things, though. D- isn't it like, you know, a lot of people are like, God, I wish I could play piano. God, I wish I could play guitar or um, or any number of things. But like, I guess this is just, look, if you want to do something like that, it is attainable. You can do it. And it is not out of your, nothing is out of your reach if you put in the time. Yeah. Oh, Did you feel amazing. that way about when you decided to go into the acting performing profession did you feel like it was a dream since you were a little kid or was it something that you kind of got into later that you're like maybe i could be a performer we call that a ring of keys moment by the way oh the ring of keys moment i love <laughs> yes I love yes, yes god that song is so freaking good i i could just listen to that that's so, so freaking good um <laughs> yeah i it's funny because it's like i've always been like a real hambone 
I've certainly always been like a real ham bone, but like I didn't see performing as like a real, I mean, I'm from North Carolina, like I'm from the South. And when I was growing up, it, it was like, I didn't see a lot of uh, examples right in front of me of like a realistic that, oh, that's a professional actor, mm-hmm. you know? You, you only would see people on TV or like if you were really lucky, you could see like a touring Broadway show. Or if you were really, really lucky, you could go to New York and see a show on Broadway. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, that's their that's their job. That's like a real thing. And so I always loved doing it. And the first time I really fell in love with musicals was in third grade. My teacher, Mrs. Price, Mrs. Joyce Price, would have like a weekly arts unit that we would do. So we would kind of either describe a Paul Clay painting. So it was always based in painting and, uh, or America sat painting. And then one week it was, uh, a Sunday afternoon on the Island of La Grande Jatte by Georges Seurat. So as part of that unit, we describe what we saw in the painting. And then the next day she was like, now we're going to watch the PBS performance of that play for a bunch of third graders. We were probably way too young, (laughs) but I like vividly remember watching it. And going like, oh my God, this is, this is really incredible. And I, I, I want to, I, what is this? And even if I didn't quite understand what it was yet, it was like, that's the seed. That's the moment. I mean, especially that tricky second act. I mean, it's very know, tough it's putting it together. Gra- the chromolum, <laughs> what mm-hmm. is happening? I know. You know, <laughs> why does everybody love Louie? What is, what, what's going right. on? And, um, <laughs> but then it was like, it wasn't until I like worked over, I was studying it at Carnegie Mellon. And I think even at that point, it still seemed like "Eh, this is not, it doesn't feel real yet. It wasn't until I went and worked at Utah Shakespeare Festival between sophomore year and junior year that I like met actors who, who this was their job, you know? Cause even like in my class, like we had a boy in my class, uh, Tyler Haynes, one of the best names on Broadway. Guy's so freaking good. Friend of the pod, Tyler. Haynes. Oh he, my god, he's he wonderful. was in our and, first like three months of podcasts. Yeah, and he oh took my a god, chance on great. us. We love he's, him. We love uh, we love him. Like he was in my class at school freshman year, and then he left, and he had already done the Fosse tour, and then left after freshman year to go swing uh, Oklahoma on Broadway. And it was like he was kind of like what I was looking to as an example of like, okay, that's what a Broadway performer looks like. And it's like one, it's the best answer alive. Two, it's he's been doing this professionally since he was like seven, you know, and like mm-hmm. you're not going to in the span of the next four years, you're not going to like suddenly be at that level where like I can dance the shit out of a Bob Fosse number like that's just never going to be me. So that's what I saw. And then after going to Utah, I suddenly was like, oh, wait, there's an entirely other like kind of sort of lay person actor that that has either gone to grad school or has done multiple kinds of theater work and television work and film work and are able to kind of put together a career and have health insurance and families. And I was like, Oh, you, you can do this and live a life and be a person, you know, not just be this kind of vague thing that I, that performs on the Tony awards every year. You know what I mean? I know that sounds really kind of uh, esoteric and vague, but it was, it was like a aha moment for me to go like, Oh my God, this is a, it's like a career and a calling and like, and something that you are always working at and working on. Sure. I think it's important for people to understand that too. It's not just no. one thing. Connor always says, you want to work on Broadway? There's the same jobs on Broadway that there are in any business. They're just for Broadway instead. Get out of and here, it's Connor, with the, with the drop in the knowledge. I mean, but you don't really put, you don't know that as a kid. You know, you think yeah. like, oh, if I want to work in the arts, I probably have to be an actor or a writer. But then you realize, oh, wait, I could be a lawyer for the arts. I could be... I could mm-hmm. be a janitor in the theater. I could do any yep. kind of job, but put it near the thing I love. And I always tell people that when they're like younger and they're like, I don't know, I don't know, and I don't know. And I'm like, well, what do you like that isn't performing? Maybe you could still yeah. do it, but. Yeah. I always think about like those state, the funniest thing about doing a Broadway show is like hanging out with stagehands because they are the most real people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> who like, make big money. They're practically electrical engineers and yeah. structural engineers. Mm-hmm. And like, the, you know, because they have to know how to exactly how much power you're going to need in a building that's a hundred years old that is barely standing up. <laughs> like, they're like, yeah, hey, you can screw into that wall, but you can't screw into that wall. Don't right. do it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's fascinating. And, and they know that because of years of experience and, and like being a part of like a really, really specialized group of people. It's like, that's what. You're not going to find anybody in a theater that doesn't like their job. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's pretty unique as an industry in, in that world where everybody that's there is there because they love what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, there, there are other gigs like anywhere else you're going to go. You go to a restaurant like, yeah, there are some people there that really like love hospitality and are really good at it and are like, or I'm, I want to, I'm studying to be a sommelier and I like, I love wines and I love like tasting. I have a really discerning palate. Like, but then for that person, there's also going to be a person that's just like, I just needed a gig and I'm, I'm you know, here's your peas. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, we're kind of running out of time with you, Drew. And I like, I, I feel like ta- you have. I talk too much. No, you have so much to say. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, we need to go up in the air and do our next pod. But oh, we I'm, do. Curi- I'm yeah. curious about, so when you finish, at, did you finish at Carnegie Mellon? I did. Yeah. I graduated in 2000. Uh And then how soon was Jersey boys? Shit. I guess I, Oh yeah. So I graduated school in 05. I got Jersey boys in 07. So it's like two years later. Okay. So in the span, in the in-between time, like I did, I did a a theater work show. I got my equity card doing a, like a reading for La Jolla Playhouse. So I just kind of like hopped around, did a lot of like readings and stuff. Tara Rubin was wonderful. And like, kind of gave me my big job in Jersey Boys. But the coolest thing that I did up until that point was like be a reader for Jim Carnahan. You learn so much being a reader, so much. Like, guys, I was the reader for Spring Awakening. I was Gerard Canonico's reader. Wow. It's a tiny world. And then we we like, you know, we like, you know, give each other big squeezes every single time we, you know, right before we opened Almost Famous and then right before we closed it, I was like, I looked at him and I was like, hey, I, I, I've known you for like 15 years and this yeah. is the first time that we've gotten to like share the stage together. And it, it's cool that I know that it won't be the last, like that's neat. You know? I love that. Wait, so do you remember, this is because Connor and I are huge spring awakening people. Do you remember any of that OBC coming in yes. and auditioning and feeling like something electric yeah, in the yeah, room? Yeah, I do. I remember, uh, I remember Krista very specifically. Cause I didn't, okay. I didn't, ta- I didn't come on board until like the very end of the process. So I was helping them cast the swings okay. because they had already done it. They'd already done it at Atlantic. And when they moved to Broadway, they were like, mm-hmm. we need swings. And again, six and a half feet tall. So Carnahan was like, great. You're great. Just, just come and sit here and read. And it was great. Cause I, I watched, uh, uh, Kim Grigsby and Deborah Abramson, who was the uh, rehearsal company for all those, uh, uh, auditions, like play the shit out of like these, Take would take like a rando song that some kid was going to sing and make it sound awesome and right for the show. So it like in in a weird way, it was like she was making them sound more like what the team wanted them to sound like on a song that they already were doing. You know what I mean? That's that's, oh, that's so cool. Like that's that's next level stuff. But Gerard, yeah. it was Gerard Canonico who sang "Honesty" by Billy Joel, and he was like I think seventeen years old. Krista Rodriguez who just, I, I don't remember what she sang. She was, she read like a fucking angel. And I was like, Oh, you're, I was like, I don't know who you are, but you're really, really good. This is great. And yeah. little Maddie Doyle, who I'm now in a little shop with came in and read. Yeah. Oh, oh that's so, so, so special. And this is wow. like, you know, back in 2007, right before I, and then like within a few months I was like, and then I started rehearsals for Jersey boys. And then I was gone for like a year and a half. And then Jersey boys, that was, so hot at the time. I mean, I mean, it was hot for a long time, but it was mm-hmm. fire. Like it's crazy to think of the time, like, like when it first opened, the, it was great. Like it was like Des McEnough did a thing where he like, he could effectively play the audience like an instrument. You know what I mean? So it was like, all right, we know exactly how we're going to engineer act one. So you don't hear a four season song until like, 40 minutes into act one and then we're going to hit you with three in a row and not let you applaud it. And so like by the time you get to this point where you like finish walk like a man, the audience would just go utterly bananas. Now I know this is an old trick, but I had never seen it in practice happen on stage and like directors abilities to not manipulate an audience, but yeah, yeah, effectively manipulate an audience to get the kind of, to make them, you know, have the experience you want them to have is a real skill. And I'm like, I was so lucky to get to do that on my first oh. big job and like watch how that works. And Bob has the best part of the show. Bob's got the best track. It's he does. the best track. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. That was hard. I mean, it was hard to kind of like, you really are kind of getting thrown onto a, a move, like a just thrown from a bus on like the freeway and saying like, okay, just, just start running and you hit the ground and off you go. It was like tough because 
I had no idea how to do eight shows a week. They don't teach you that at school. They just don't. They can't. They can't teach you how to do something eight times a week. Like the only way that you could do that would be to, to say, okay, we're going to train you for four years. And also at night, every night, eight shows a week, you're mm-hmm. going to do a show. That's, this is not right. feasible. So that's a whole other skill that people kind of gain as, uh, as you, you know, you, the only way you can learn is by doing it. And was that Jared Spector with you in those? Yeah. Okay. That was, when you mentioned him earlier, I was like, yeah. he did it after John Wayne Young for a long time. Yeah. 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 So uh, Jared and I started the show, uh, started the Chicago company out of town. It was me and Jared Spector, Steve Gouveia, who was later replaced by Michael Ingersoll. And um, did I say Jeremy Kushner? Not yet. Yeah. Okay. Jeremy Kushner. And so many people that went on to do so many phenomenal yeah. things too. Yeah. And, and had done things before that. It was like, you know. Yeah. Jeremy was Ren and Footloose, right? Was not- Jeremy was Ren McCormick in Broadway's Footloose. And I thought that guy, I thought that guy walked on water. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was nuts. And he was happy to have me think that. Like, yeah. there's another guy, like, we are still, we're still the super close friends. I see him all the time. It's really like, that's part of what's, you know. Again, it's a it's a it's a family like the community that we're in. We're really lucky. Do you feel that almost famous forged a family in its little bit shorter period of time? One hundred percent. Oh, that's one, amazing. One hundred percent. It almost happens more so on a, on more difficult processes like that because okay. you a, as a cast, you're putting in. You know, you don't work less hard on a show that isn't financially successful than you do mm-hmm. on a show that 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 runs for ten years. Sure. You, you know, you put in the same amount of heart and time and energy, and that's why it can, you know, really hurt doesn't find an audience in a way that it, that you feel like it should, or it doesn't, the piece that you arrive on for the final version isn't what you had hoped it would be or whatever mm-hmm. that ends up being. That's really great to hear. I'm so glad there's an album. I mean, it has some bangers. My God, there's it. some bangers on that. It's so, yes. and honestly, like I could listen to Soleil Pfeiffer sing those songs all day long. Mm-hmm. We're um we're getting a little uh, group together again to do uh, Seth. Oh my stars God, Seth Rudetsky. Yeah. So we're going to do Stars in the House, uh, and I think in a couple of weeks to kind of just honestly for an excuse to hang out with each other. It's like mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah, how can we how can we like package this as something where you know it's pretty much just us hanging out, having a glass of wine, and singing songs. <laughs> Right. Oh, so <laughs> yeah. fun. Yeah. It, yeah. it is some bops. Like if everyone needs, I'm yeah. glad I got nominated for a Tony as well. Cause it deserved to be recognized. That's so that true. Way. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, like if you ask me, I think Tom Kitt deserves the freaking world. And so does Cameron. And honestly, that whole team is like, you know, they are all heavy hitters. And I, it, it was, it's such a privilege to get to play. You know what I mean? Sure. Even if it, even, even if like it doesn't get the goodies, it's yeah. still, it's still a privilege to play. Morocco, sure. Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> I love that yeah. song. No, just cut to me backstage, like about to push on a sun chair and like a like a floor length wig, like just hot, hot and tired, and like okay, here we go. The wig, it's Christmas the wig, Eve. Was the wig really warm? And oh my god, the wig's name was Vanessa. It was designed by the brilliant Luke Vichuren who is can do no wrong in my book. And uh, I, I, I'd, I'd follow that, that man and that entire team to the end of the earth. My God, it was, it was so glorious. <laughs> How fun. You really can come alive in a wig. Everybody comes alive in a wig. That's the move. Like, like if this were a video interview, it would just like, it'd be a flash of just the wig just on the screen right now. <laughs> it, uh, it flowed like, like poppies in the breeze. It was beautiful. Mm. Well, listen, Drew, like Connor mentioned, so many more stories to be told. We're going to have to have you back at some point. Guys, and- anytime. This is like, you You have really like found the true narcissist in me that will like, <laughs> the podcast is just me going through my own Wikipedia page, just bullet point by bullet point. And it's like, Drew, did you write your own Wikipedia page? And I'm like, no, <laughs> you, you, you don't, you did. No, I probably did. We'll touch it up after this. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you're, you're amazing. And you're the dream type of guest because you have so many things we can mine from. And so we've had a blast. Yeah. You're also nice today. and you're nice and fun. Oh. We do have one more segment. We have our dose of drama. Do you have time? Do you have like five minutes? Of left? course. I, of course I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we say goodbye, we like to end with a dose of drama, which is our closing segment where we share the drama on our minds or in our hearts. It could be something you've been binge watching, reading, consuming, something you want to rant about, rave about, even mm-hmm. promote. You know, we're we're a one stop shop here. Dylan, do you have a dose of drama today to share? Hmm. You know what? I do. 
It's about Ed Sheeran's new album. I don't know if we have any Ed Sheeran fans. In no, the, you're safe. In the Zoom. No, you're today. safe. You're, you're, okay, you're okay. safe. <laughs> <laughs> and it is the completion of his Equations album series. It's, it's his final one that he's putting out there of that. Oh, because it's the, it it's the plus, the minus, the... Uh, okay. Exactly. Yeah. I have to say, <laughs> I'm bummed out by this final entry into the collection. Is he, not giving you, is he not giving you enough bops? Do you think it's just because he's been so under scrutiny with the, with the trial and all that stuff? You know what? It's possible. It's just, it's a quiet, almost sad album at times, which, hey, I'm a sad boy whenever it, you know, that's my preferred listening. But nothing really stuck out to me on the album. I'm a little disappointed. I did only give it one listen. So upon second, I might amend this and eat my shorts but for now i'm a little bummed out by is it subtraction is that what it's called Connor? subtract i think is subtract. the official okay. title yeah mm-hmm. so that's that's my drama is ed come on let's be better i bat for you when other people think that you're you are un yeah, yeah ed, you are undoubtedly one of one of the great songwriters of this generation can we really go go at him though because it's like i think about people like elton john right elton john made an album like every year for 30 years and they're they're just not all going to be bangers guys like sometimes sometimes you might get one good one like one good Mm -hmm. song here and there it's like t swift i'm and like don't get me wrong i'm a full swifty like i i love me i love me some taylor swift but like Sometimes you're like, most of this album's not great. A couple of good songs. <laughs> Did you feel that way about Midnights? Did you listen wait, to the wait, most let me, wait, recent let me look, one? That's, that's the most recent one? It's, it's with Antihero. Yeah. Yes, I liked Midnights. I liked yeah, Midnights. Me yeah, me too. A lot of people didn't, so that's why I was curious. But you yeah, Antihero's good. It's so mm, good. Yeah. Yeah. Karma's I don't love good. all the lyrics, but I love the song in general. Yeah, she's... And to, to any line about a sexy baby is uh, <laughs> is is just kind of... see the f- the fact that you can even quote that, Drew. You're you're such a millennium man. I, you know, so I'm I'm things. on the cusp. You know, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm born in the '80s. So, uh, do you and Julia rock out to Taylor Swift around? No, you know what? Julia has a really amazing parlor trick, and I'm I'm gonna out her uh, on the uh, on the podcast right now about it. And this uh, this could be my dose of yeah, yeah, yeah. And that it, it's it's uh it's my fiance's um um amazing party trick. She has what we like to call perfect pitch. You would think, wow, what an amazing asset to have. And you know what? In a lot of ways, it's really great. In other ways, like I'll you know we'll be driving down the road and I'll like launch into like hold me closer, tiny dancer, and then she'll be like. Count the headlights on the highway. And I'll be like, what? Why are you going to change the key? And she's like, well, that's the, that's the key it's in. <laughs> and it happens all the time. The plus side is that I'll be like, hey, Julia, sing this song. And she'll be like, Boop, and like, and then I'll pull it up on the phone. Spot on. Perfect. Perfect. Other half of the dose of drama yeah. is that I'm really excited for Here Lies Love yes. right now. I'm like, honestly, uh, this is really um, the real drama there is that I am new to this party. Mm -hmm. I did not know of the brilliance that was and is Here Lies Love. It's tough for me to get excited about stuff like these days. And that that's got me. My interest is peaked. Yes, we shall say they're renovating the Broadway theater. Yeah, it's going to be like a nothing ever done there before. Mm -hmm. So that's that's something cool to to look forward to. Yeah, I'm so excited. Oh my god, I'll wrap it up really quick and just say I went to go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 last week. And I've been feeling very burnt out by all the Marvel movies. Even on the way there, I was like, why am I still so attached? You know, I don't even know if I'm that invested anymore. But I have to say, it was amazing. It was amazing. Best Marvel movie they've done in years. I feel like some of these directors have a hard job. They do have hard jobs working on these Marvel (laughs) movies because they, first of all, they have to take characters and storylines that are moving around in multiple other movies and still somehow tell, hopefully, a deep, compelling narrative about these much-loved characters, but to take them to a new place. Or in this case, James Gunn had to finish up the Guardians trilogy. Okay. And he really was able to redirect and nail it and push out a stunningly emotional conclusion to the Guardians. So I'm a little blown away by it, I have to say. I have to say. I'm so happy to hear that. Mm-hmm. I love Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're good. fun. You're gonna, lo- you're it's gonna love so it. It's so fun. 
Okay, that's that's so good to you know. Gotta go. Anyway, we also have to go today. <laughs> Drew, <gasps> Bye. this was a blast. Thank you so much for joining us. We told you this before we started recording, but we've wanted you for years. The listeners have wanted you for years, and you really delivered. I appreciate your time and your stories and your energy. You've just been. Mwah. Oh, thanks, friends. It's like so nice to talk to y'all. Y'all are very easy to talk to. Hey, thank you. We appreciate that. And I hope that we're able to catch you in Little Shop through the summer. Yeah, I'm going to be doing Little Shop until July 14th. Awesome. So that so come and catch us in uh, Little Shop for us until then. Amazing. Yay. Thank you for your time. Everyone should follow you on Instagram, just at Drew Galing. Follow us at The Drama Podcast. Me at Dylan McDowell. Connor at Connor McDowell. Thank you again, Drew and Connor. I will see you next time. Drama. Drama.